so this morning, we're going to go back to our ongoing sermon series on the book of Exodus. Hopefully, uh, you still remember what we took up last time that we were here. Uh, the last time that we were in Exodus, we finished taking up the plague of locusts and the plague of darkness. Okay. Eighth and ninth plague. Uh, if you can still remember, I said that these first nine plagues were grouped in sets of three. And then there are three sets. Right? Three times three equals nine. <laughs> That's why there's nine plagues. We've taken up all these nine plagues. And I said that all these nine plagues, the ultimate message was that these nine plagues were reply to Pharaoh's question in chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, what was the question of Pharaoh in chapter 5, verse 2? Uh, Pharaoh asked Moses, uh, or replied to Moses when Moses asked uh, Pharaoh to let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh's reply was what? Who is the Lord? I should obey his voice and let the Israelites go. I don't know the Lord. And these plagues, I've been saying this over and over again, these plagues were God's way of introducing himself to the Egyptians. Um, and I would say also to the Israelites. So to so the Egyptians as the judge, to the Israelites as their God. This is the God that you are serving. This is the God who's on your side. Uh, meanwhile, to the Egyptians, this is the God you're going against. That's the message that uh, these plagues were ultimately, they were about. Uh, it's for them to know, all of them, and us to know the one true God, and that there is no one like him. He's on a, in a class all by himself. Uh, these first nine plagues show God, showed God's power and authority over nature. Right? And the first nine plagues also showed God's power and authority over other so-called gods that the Egyptians worshipped, including Pharaoh himself, who is a self-proclaimed god at that time and the self-proclaimed ruler of the known world at that time. God showed that you're nothing <laughs> compared to me. Right? So in, in this process of nine plagues, God is ultimately always showing attributes of himself, power, authority, rule, which leads us to this 10th plague. Uh, this 10th plague is doing the same thing. Uh, God is showing Pharaoh another one of his attributes. Now for our context, this attribute of God that we're going to be discussing this morning is probably the most controversial of all his attributes, both for Christians and non-Christians alike. What attribute are we going to talk about today? Well, the attribute of God that I'm referring to is the title of the message. You guys read the title of the message? Okay. So that's the attribute that we're going to talk about today. The sovereignty of God. It's huge. Okay, if you don't know what that means, better listen. <laughs> okay? The sovereignty of God is such a huge and very deep topic. Uh, it'll take a lot of faith on my part to tackle it, and a lot of faith on your part 
to understand it and hopefully joyfully accept this attribute of God. Now, this study of the sovereignty of God is sometimes also called Big God Theology. Okay? Um, a lot of Christians have stumbled because of this theology, because of this uh, attribute of God that He is sovereign. A lot of Christians, some left the faith because they can't serve a God that is being described in this doctrine. Some, some people left the faith. They just can't accept it. Uh, and what happens is, for those people who can't accept this attribute of God, this reality that's in the Scripture about God, they end up making up their own. Because they can't accept this one. They say, no, God can't be like that. God must be like this, this, and that. And they make a whole new God for themselves, the one that's easier for them to digest, easier for them to understand, but ultimately that's not the God of the Bible. So that's why I think this is very important for us to understand this very huge, very deep topic. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I've been trying to get away from this topic since the beginning of our study of Exodus, <laughs> right? I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, from the beginning of the study of Exodus uh, and the beginning of the plagues, it's always said in our text that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It even says it here, verse 10, right? What does verse 10 say? Chapter 11, verse 10. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, I don't know if you've been asking it in your head, like, what does that mean? Uh, why would God do that? Uh, you know, because that ultimately led to all the deaths that we, all the deaths that we saw in the plagues, right? A lot of people died uh, during the, the plagues. And this tenth one, uh, firstborns were the ones that were targeted um, because the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, you ever question that? I do. Especially, who, who has firstborns here? <laughs> Some of you are firstborns. Uh, who's firstborns here? I'm panganay. Who's panganay? Okay. Yeah, if this happened today, we'd all be dead. <laughs> That's what happened. It's not just firstborn babies. Firstborn anybody. Even cattle. Did you, you notice that about the text? Even the cattle, even if you have a firstborn dog, they would have died. Any firstborn, all the firstborns would have died. But so I'm thinking, like, what is that? How, how is that? Like, why would God do that? Um, especially nowadays. Um, you know, when we hear about children dying, it strikes a different chord, right? Right? Uh, there was just a shooting in the States, two of them. School shootings. Children died. Ages what? Eight to ten? When you heard about that, how did it make you feel? Different, right? Uh, when we went on vacation, we, we went on a gun range, shooting range. Um, me, my sons, uh, we like to shoot guns. 
<laughs> it was a range, okay? We weren't shooting at people. Um, but we shot this rifle in the States. Uh, we have it here, too. It's called the AR-15 assault rifle. The sound of that rifle, I don't know if you've shot guns before, if you heard the sound of these rifles. The sound of those rifles, because we were shooting, first we were shooting handguns, uh, Glocks. I don't know if you guys know that, those, those guns. There were 9mm bullets. All police is standard for police. That's what they carry. Um, the sound of those is what you would expect from a gun. You know, bang, bang. So you, you hear it, and it's like, okay, that's, that's a, a gun. Um, the AR-15s, when you shoot those, it's, it makes your teeth rattle. You understand what, what I'm talking about? It makes your teeth vibrate. That's the sound of an AR-15. If you if you uh, spent New Year's in the Philippines and you they they blow up those uh, what do you call those? That, uh, I don't know in English triangles. <laughs> they blow up those. It makes your teeth shake. You know that the feeling I'm talking about? Parang yung mo. That's how AR-15s sound like. And if you hear if you hear that sound, and we were wearing earphones. We had glasses, safety glasses on. The, the sound of that that gun makes is just intimidating. I imagine the people who shot the schools, the kids in the schools, were using those guns. They had no earplugs, no. They were being shot with those guns. And children, I, I don't know the effect, if that bullet hits you. How devastating that effect would be. So you think about that, children dying. Uh, and then you think about uh, the recent Roe versus Wade decision in the States. Have you guys heard about that? Right? That they made it illegal for abortions to happen um, after the first trimester. I think it was after the first trimester they made it illegal for abortions to happen. So you can still abort, but they made it illegal for the to abort first trimester babies, which is, a, which is a win, right? It's a win for pro-lifers. Uh, pro All those happen because there is something in us that when children die, especially, yeah, especially children, it's, it hits you different, right? Uh, remember when they were having the, the war in Syria and people were crossing the... the, the, the see to, to get away from the war and they had a picture of this kid I think 8, 10 years old who, who drowned on the beach they showed this on the news it hits you different right? so here uh, not just one child died not just 8 a lot all the firstborns, and some of them were children just like what you saw in the video mostly what they showed were children so my question is why? <laughs> Why does God have to do that? And I think um, for us to understand that plague, this plague, we need to understand God's sovereignty. Um, and we need to realize what that means and that what actually happened there was really for our good, even though sometimes it makes your stomach turn because of the way it happened and who it happened to. I think we need to understand um, that that happened 
for a purpose, and that purpose is good. Uh, and I think we have to begin with the sovereignty of God. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to answer some questions about the sovereignty of God. For us to truly understand what that means. Uh, first, we need to define what it means for God to be sovereign. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? And second, what does the sovereignty of God have to do with the 10th plague? I kind of gave you already a preview of that. What does the sovereignty of God have to do with the 10th plague? But first things first, what does it mean for God to be sovereign? We're going to try to answer that question by taking a look at a couple of answers that I uh, think paint a full picture of what the sovereignty of God means. And then from there, my hope is, with the help of the Holy Spirit, my hope is that we can understand the severity of this last plague and why God did what he did to the Egyptians. So hopefully that, that's going to happen uh, for all of us. We're going to understand it in that way. Now, let me clarify a couple of things before we dive in. First, these answers that I'm going to be presenting to you are not my own. These answers are things that I found on the internet that coincide with how I understood God's sovereignty, but I just wanted to get other people's opinions of it to make sure that I'm on the right track. Okay, I can't just say, okay, this is what I think. Meanwhile, nobody else agrees with it, and maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> right? So I'm going to present to you two other answers that kind of coincide with how I understand sovereignty. Sovereignty or God's sovereignty. And again, my hope is that through these answers, we'll be able to get a better understanding of this huge topic. That's number one. Second, these answers do not paint a full picture of God's sovereignty. That topic is just so big. That I can't, you know, paint a whole picture of it just by, through one sermon. It'll probably take me a year. So it doesn't paint a whole picture of God's sovereignty. And what do I mean by that? Uh, I'm sure that there will still be questions after this message. And I hope that if you still have questions about the sovereignty of God after this message, I hope that these questions will drive you to study on your own regarding God's sovereignty and why it's ultimately good for those of us who believe. Okay. So I'm not expecting everybody to understand this, to pick this up, to accept it. Um, but I do hope that you go out there and study it on your own. Amen? Doesn't look like you want to, but uh, God's sovereign even over that. <laughs> so hopefully that's what you'll do after this, okay? So my job is just to make you think. Hopefully you have questions. Hopefully you go get your answers, okay? Now, before we answer that question, what does it mean for God to be sovereign? Let's first lay down the foundation by defining the term sovereignty or sovereign. What does that mean? Uh, according to an essay by John M. Frame, and this is the article that I was referring to earlier. Uh, it's found at the TGC website. Those of you who have internet access, go ahead and, and check it out. Um, the term sovereignty in relation to God is rarely found in recent translations of the Bible. You rarely see it. Uh, but this term does represent an important biblical concept. What's that concept? 
That concept is that someone who is sovereign, okay, when we call somebody sovereign, it means that someone is a ruler, someone is a king, and someone is a lord. Okay? Most basic definition of sovereign. When we say this person is sovereign, they're a ruler, king, or lord. Which explains why God is often referred to in Scripture as ruler, king, and lord. And not just Lord of a nation or Lord of a, Lord of everything, right? In fact, God's proper name Yahweh is regularly translated as Lord. Now that title of Lord is found over seven thousand times in the Scripture in reference to God, also in reference to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about sovereignty of God, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about or we're discussing the lordship or the rule of God. Okay? Straight so far? Yes. Sovereign means king, ruler. Okay? Straight. Now that essay goes on to say that the sovereignty of God is actually referring to the godness of God. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, is referring to the godness of God. Or in other words, the qualities of God that make God a God or the God. You get what I'm saying? Okay. Without God being sovereign, he can't be God. You get it? It's hard to get because we have a lot of gods. You just watch the movies. Thor is the god of thunder. <laughs> so when we think about gods, that's what we think. Oh, he's a god that means he has special powers. He can do some stuff. Right? The Egyptians had different gods. The frog god, uh, the sun god, uh, you know. But th those gods, they do different things. They're only powerful in certain areas. But God is different. He is all-powerful God. He's not just good in one area. He's good in everything. Okay? So when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about what makes God the God, not just a God. Right? Now, some of the major components of, biblical, of the biblical concept of divine sovereignty or the lordship of God are these three things. Number one, God controls everything. And some of you are like, yes. But when he, when, when he preached up here, yeah, even your money. <laughs> no. God controls everything, number one. Number two, he has authority over everything. Even your money. <laughs> That's what hurts people the most. Not my money. That's number two. Number three, his presence is in everything. That's why God, we call God omnipresent. His presence is in everything. So when we talk about sovereignty of God, we're talking about those three things. What, what, what is it again? Number one, he controls everything. 
Number two, he has authority over everything. And number three, his presence is in everything. That's what makes God, God. That's why there's nobody like him. Right? So, so far, the answer to our original question. What's our original question again? What does it mean for God to be sovereign? Answer is, being sovereign means that God is in control of everything, has authority over everything, is present in everything. Okay? Clear? Or did I lose you? Hopefully not. Okay? So clear. Okay. That's the first way we can answer our question. Another way to answer our original question comes from uh, John Piper. Okay? My, Piper is my guy. Uh, I always refer to him. Uh, Piper says that God being sovereign means that God is, and I quote, powerful and authoritative. Can you guys read it? To the extent of what? So when we talk about God being sovereign, he's in control, he's authority, he, he's in everything. And also this, God is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and all other authorities, including our own. <laughs> we have power and authority, right? Yeah, we do. Over us. Well, we think we do. But we do. We do. We, we have this false, false sense of control. Right? But really, we can't control anything. Look at COVID. Look what happened. <laughs> okay? Look at the school shootings. You think we can control everything? We can't. But God can override any power and any authority. That's what it means for him to be sovereign. And again, that, that means that there is nothing that God is unable to do at the same time, there is nothing that can stop God from accomplishing his intended purpose. So if he has control, if he can override everything, who can override him? Nobody. That's what it means for God to be sovereign. Check out these verses, Job 42.2. You guys read it out loud. You guys read it out loud. I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, Daniel 4.35. Right? He does according to his will. You can't say, what have you done? It's not like you can do anything about it. What else? Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. There has to be none like him. If there was another one like him, then somebody can override him. <laughs> but since he's the only one who can do that, there is no one like him. Okay? So are you getting it so far? 
The sovereignty of God. This is what it means for God to be sovereign. This means that if God intends for something to happen, God has the power and authority to make things happen. That means that God's sovereignty is not just God being recognized as ruler or Lord in the spiritual realm. His sovereignty also has an effect on the physical realm. This is what we were trying to study in Proverbs. That spiritual truths translate into our reality. It has to if God is sovereign. And we're saying that he is. So any spiritual truths that we learn has to translate into reality. That's why I always hear Christians say, uh, yeah, we have to apply that in our... Why? <laughs> These are spiritual truths we're learning. Why does it need to be applied in our lives? Because this is where we live. This is our context. It has to. Otherwise, God's not sovereign. It's not just God of spiritual realm. He's also God of and Lord of physical. So that, what does that mean? That means that when God intends for something to happen spiritually, he uses his power in the physical realm to make it happen. Okay? They're kind of showing this right now in the new movies that are, I've been watching. Stranger Things, you guys watch? Right? There's two realms, right? Right? The right here and the, what do you call it? Those of you who watch? The upside down, right? But you can cross between. <laughs> right? Those of you who watch it. Uh, those of you who have seen um, uh, Doctor Strange and the multiverse. There's different realms. But you can cross. But when you cross a realm, that's, that's it. That's all where you're at in that realm. You have, don't have any powers or anything on the other realms. But God is different again. <laughs> okay. doesn't matter which realm he's in. He is Lord. He is ruler. He is in control. That's what it means for him to be So this means that when God intends for something to happen, he uses his power in the physical. If he intends for something to happen spiritually, he uses his power in the physical to make it happen. Example, Proverbs 16, 33. Can we flash that? Or let me just read it to you. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is what? From the Lord. You guys, check it out. Can, you, can we flash Proverbs 16, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What does that mean? So what we may perceive to be random events, like an election, where every human being who is participating in the election of an official has their own choice on who to vote for. Okay? When you go to an election... You have your own choice who to vote for. Unless, you know, unless you get paid for it. Uh, <laughs> that's not really your choice. But uh, usually in an election, you have your own choice on who to vote for. But the end result, this verse is saying, the end result of that election ultimately is still determined by who? 
the voters? No. Determined by the sovereignty of God. And he does that so that he can accomplish a, uh, a spiritual truth or a spiritual uh, purpose of his. He does it in the physical. Um, one more example. God's sovereignty uh, in the spiritual realm accomplished in his sovereignty in the physical realm. Uh, nature. God is sovereign over nature. Check out one third, uh, Psalm 135, 6 to 7. You guys read it aloud again. Psalm 135, verses 6 and 7. Seven. Nature, physical, but there's spiritual truth to that. Right? Matthew 8, 27. When, when was, where, where was that said? During what? Storm. Hey, they're in the middle of the, the boat. The storm. Jesus sleeping. They're all scared. Then Jesus just said, yeah, shh. <laughs> and all, everything calmed down. So he has, his sovereignty over nature shows us that spiritual realm, he's trying to accomplish something, but he does it through physical. Uh, one more example, the plagues in Exodus. What did he use? What did God use in the plagues in Exodus? The first nine, nature, right? frogs, gnats, flies, right? Uh, hail, darkness, all that stuff. He uses those things in order to convey something spiritual. God's sovereignty extends to the physical realm in order to accomplish his purposes in the spiritual realm. Another example. God is also sovereign over nations. Read it again. Second Chronicles 20 verse 6. Even nations, God is sovereign over, right? So you think that Russia's actions in the war against Ukraine is out of God's control? Think again. It may look like it because nobody's doing anything and they keep, they keep on going at it. But think again. Is God still sovereign over that? Mm, yes. Now lastly... This is probably the most controversial aspect of God's sovereignty. Is that God is sovereign over every single human decision. Okay. I can feel ears closing already. God is sovereign over every single human decision. Piper said this. And I quote, We have all kinds of thinking that we do, but in the end... The Lord decides. So what you ate this morning, you had to decide, right? What you wore, right? unless your wife decides for you, guys. I know some guys like that, right? 
they dress their husbands up because the husband doesn't know how to dress himself. So that means that their Lord, that their wife is sovereign over their wardrobe. <laughs> That's what it means, right? The wife is sovereign over your wardrobe, right? Every single decision that we make is our decision, but God's still sovereign over it. Check out Proverbs 16, verse 1. You guys read it. Keep you awake. Okay. Plan all you want, but ultimately God decides. Uh, 9, verse 9. You realize what that means? You can plan to go one way, but God establishes your steps. So, I, yeah, I, planned, I didn't plan to be a pastor. <laughs> but the Lord established my steps. Did I, can I do anything about it? No, why? Because God is over my decisions. To the, to the point where, I'm getting ahead of myself, to the point where every decision that I make will ultimately lead me to where God wants me to be. You get it? Sometimes. Pfft. One more. Proverbs 19, verse 21. <laughs> this is the one that makes me laugh the most. You know that vacation that we took last week? That was planned two years ago. But God said, no, 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 no. COVID. Did we get to go ultimately? Yes, but not the way we planned it. You'll get this later on. When we <laughs> right? Uh, 21 verse 1, Proverbs 21 verse 1. All right? A heart of a king, ruler, is like water. God's like, no, you don't go there. You go here. You go there. You go. Imagine. That's the sovereignty of God. Now, this is why a lot of people don't like this part of the sovereignty of God, that he even governs our decisions. Okay. Because some people think, does that mean we're just puppets? I always hear that. Are we just robots? We're puppets in God's hands. And God is the puppet master. You know what a puppet is? Before, puppets were in this, on a string. That's why they say you're on a string. Other puppets, they, you put your hand in there, you know. <laughs> and they make you talk. They make you say whatever. Is that God? Is that what it means for God to be sovereign? Um, I don't think so. So what does that mean that God is ultimately governing all our decisions? What that means is that there is no decision that we can make that will surprise God. Or that somehow will change God's plans or purposes. Right? Remember, God's sovereignty means that he can override powers and authorities, but nobody can override him. Right? You remember that part? So when we talk about his sovereignty over every single human decision, it doesn't mean that we're puppets. 
It doesn't mean that he just tells us what to do and we do it. Uh, otherwise, we'd all be in church every Sunday. <laughs> we'd all be reading our Bibles, praying every day. We'd all be, right? But that's not the case. We still have our own decisions that we make, but that does mean that there's no decision that we can make that will surprise God or that will somehow change God's plans or purposes. So God's not going to go, oh, what is this pastor doing shooting guns in Vegas? He's not surprised about that. Or why is this person buying lottery again? Not surprised. Right? I heard um, one illustration um, that God is not an ambulance God doesn't drive an ambulance. Right? He's, not, he's not like an ambulance driver who's sitting at the hospital. And saying, oh, no, there's an accident over. I have to go. That's not God. He already knows that there was going to be an accident. Right? He's not surprised, but that's what it means for God to be sovereign over every single human decision. Example. Um, the story of Joseph. Remember when we began our study in Exodus, we started with how the Israelites got to Egypt in the first place? How did they get there? Because Joseph was what? Sold as a slave. And Egyptians bought him. He became a slave in Egypt. And then from there, a famine happened. Joseph's brother had to come in and because they had no food. And ultimately, Joseph uh, had to help them out. Right? Do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50? What did he say? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. For what reason? To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So the decisions that his brothers made was not a surprise to God. In fact, he already knew he had a purpose for it. They intended, for, they intended it for evil, but God meant it for Was God sovereign over their decision-making? Yes. Did they decide to do that themselves? Yes. So, I mean, we can apply this to each and everyone here today. I'm talking about believers. We can apply this to every believer today. We all have made wrong decisions in the past and even now. Right? We all have. But somehow... For believers, okay, I'm going to qualify this, okay, only for believers. But somehow, even those wrong turns led us to where we are today. How does that happen? Because you made the decision. You made the decision to get yourself into debt. You made the decision to marry the person you're beside. Some of us are giggling, yeah. Some are like, I know, I made that decision. Why did I make that decision? <laughs> but you made the decision. But ultimately, did it work out? Or is it going to work out? For believers, yes, it will. How does that work? Because ultimately, God is... Of even over our decisions. So the sovereignty of God in our decision making means that no matter what we choose to do, 
good or bad, God's sovereign purpose in our lives will be accomplished. <laughs> you get that? It's going to be accomplished. No matter what we do, good or bad. If you're a believer, God's promises for you are going to be true. It's all yes in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, God's promises for you will always be true. What's that promise? That if you don't believe in God, if you're not with me, you're against me. That's going to happen too. <laughs> and he's sovereign over that. Even that. Now I know, I know it's a lot to take in. Um, I'm going to give you another week or so to digest all this. I know some of us are like, what the? What did I walk into? I should have just stayed in the cottage. It's a lot to digest, right? Because if you think about it, but those decisions that I made, I made those. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but ultimately, God is sovereign over that. So now, we've answered the question, what does it mean for God to be sovereign? Now, what we need to, or again, let me ask you that question, see if you guys recall. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? It means he's in control. He has authority over everything. He, his presence is in everything. He can override all other powers and authorities. That's how sovereign God is. And he is sovereign spiritually in the spiritual realm and physically in the physical realm. Eh? Straight? Majority of you are straight. The rest, I hope you get it. Now we answer that question. We're going to answer the second question. How much time do I have? I don't have a thing here. Somebody said one minute. Well, somebody wants to get out of here. Quick. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a thing here. But anyway, let's answer this next question. So we answer, what does it mean for God to be sovereign? This next question says, what does it mean for us that God is sovereign? Okay. First question is, what does it mean for God to be sovereign? This next question is, what does it mean for us that God is sovereign? Because it's scary, right? It's scary to think of a being with that much power ruling over you. Imagine if there was a being with that much power ruling over you, wouldn't you be like a little bit concerned? Like, you know, because we see that in, in movies that somebody with that much power, stranger things, they tend to rule with an iron fist. Right? If you don't do what I say, you get squished. You die. That's God too. But here's the difference with God, and we need to realize um, there's a couple of things that are different about God, and it's his other attributes. It's not just all-powerful and all-sovereign. Because if that's the case, man, how are we going to trust this guy? How are we going to trust him? But the good news is this, that God being sovereign, in control, powerful over everything, even our decision-making, is ultimately good for us. Why? Because there's other, two other truths that I want you to guys to realize about God's sovereignty. And we need to be aware of this in order for us to fully trust God 
And that him being sovereign over everything is really for our good. Okay? Even the most, who's the most powerful man in the world? It used to be, it used to be the president of the United States. Right? But does he have all power? All authority? Nobody's governing him? There is. Right? He has to answer to somebody. He's not just all powerful. Like, same thing here. The chairman of the board of elders and the chairman of the board of deacons doesn't have all power. Their wives control it. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. But they don't. Why? Because human tendency is if you have that kind of power, human tendency is what? You abuse it. Right? Is God that? Because God, if God is all sovereign, how is that good for us? Two truths that we need to learn about God that makes his sovereignty really for our good. First, God's sovereignty is governed by his wisdom. God's sovereignty is governed by his wisdom. Romans eleven thirty three. Can you guys read that? Some people memorize this, but if you don't, just read it. Okay? The depth and the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God. What does that mean? If his sovereignty is governed by that, what does it mean for us? This means that everything that we do not know or everything that we do not understand, God does. Therefore, because of his sovereignty over us, we can trust that what God has purposed to accomplish in our lives is more reliable than our own ideas on who or what we should become. Because he knows infinitely more than us. <laughs> Can I say that again? Why is that so important when it comes to God's sovereignty? Because we don't know everything. Some of us think we, they do. <laughs> but we don't. It's been proven over and over again. So that kind of wisdom can only come from God. And that kind of wisdom is what governs God's sovereignty over us. Therefore, whatever we do not know, God does. And because he rules us, he makes sure that those of us who believe will get that kind of wisdom as well. Through his sovereignty over us. You get that? Whatever he has purpose to accomplish in our lives is more reliable than our own ideas on who or what we should become because he knows more. That's why it's so foolish, so stupid for God to be calling us to go right. And we say, no, Lord, left is better. And sometimes we even, you know, ginigit pa natin right? No, Lord, this is better. This is a better way. It's foolish. Why? You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen when you go left. And usually when you go left, it's, you, you screw up. That's why it's so foolish not to listen for somebody who knows, from somebody who knows everything. That's the problem with human beings. You already think we know everything. And we use that perceived knowledge to make, quote-unquote, wise decisions. 
Where did that leave us? Like when Eve decided to eat of the fruit, what happened? And let's be honest, not all of our decisions play out the way we thought they would. I spoke about that on the anniversary. Parenting decisions that we made that thought were right, sometimes they don't pan out. It's because we don't know. That's why the Bible talks about always asking God for more knowledge, more wisdom, because God sees and knows what we don't, and therefore he can guide us to better decision-making. That's why you all should join us in our study of Proverbs. That's what that book is about, to guide you into better decision-making, wise decisions. And that's not even the best part about God's sovereignty, to help us through our decisions because we don't know everything. The best part is that because God is sovereign over decision-making, God is able to work all things even if sometimes you make the wrong decisions. <laughs> myself, I'm, I'm the illustration. If I just chose to do it my way, some of us, that's our theme song, right? I did it my way. My way or the highway. There's a lot of songs like that. Right? If I just chose to do things my way, I would probably be dead. Most of us, probably. But no, uh, even those wrongs that I made somehow led me here. How did that happen? God's sovereignty. So God being sovereign means that I can trust him to be always in control, even when it seems as though I've lost all control because of the decisions I made or that I will make. That's the first truth about God's sovereignty and why God being sovereign is really for our good. It is governed by his wisdom. Second, God's sovereignty is really for our good because it is governed by his justice and his mercy. Check out Isaiah 30 verse 18. Guys, read it. Why is it blessed for those to wait on the Lord? Because the Lord is waiting to be what? Gracious to you. He wants to be gracious to you. He's waiting. So stop going the opposite way of what he's telling you to do. Because when you go the way that he's commanding you or sometimes asking you to do, what awaits you there is grace and mercy and Justice, it says there. What does justice mean? To right wrong. That's what justice means, right? To right the wrong. That's why when you ask for justice, that's what you're trying to do. You've been wronged. I want justice. That's what that means. So even though you make the wrong decisions, God's telling you, come back. Come back. I want to be gracious to you. Romans 9.14. Oh, if justice is to make something right or to right a wrong, 
then there is no injustice in God. And therefore, we can trust Him. Next, Romans 15, 9. Even on the Gentiles, us, He showed mercy. God is just, yes. God is also merciful. What that means for us is that all the wrong decisions that we have made, okay, in all of our lives, and will continue to make, they will have consequences that you're going to have to deal with, that we're going to have to deal with. But in having to deal with the consequences of our wrong decisions, God still will show mercy imagine God will give us grace even though we're undeserving rebels that's part of what governs his sovereignty over us God's sovereign rule over us is not the rule of a tyrant with no mercy Thanos Yes, Ben, you know Thanos? What did he do in uh, Endgame, in the, that whole story? What did Thanos want to do? He wants to what? Make it equal in the world. Well, really, that's how he wants. He wants to be ruler of the universe. So what did he do? He, what, the, what happened when he did that? Half died, or not died, but turn into ashes. Then <laughs> half remained. Can we say that about God? Uh, they're, they're just, you know, random. Just half of us gone. Raptured. <laughs> Those of you who believe in that. Is that God? No. His decision making, his authority is based upon Governed by justice and mercy. It's so important to have mercy there because if it's just, just justice, you're all dead. But no, justice and mercy. He's not a tyrant with no mercy. God's rule over us is like the sovereignty of a loving father to his children. This means that we can trust that even though sometimes we will make mistakes, God is the good Father who will help us learn from our mistakes. How? Through His loving discipline. That's why the book of Hebrews talks about learn to live for that. Learn to live for the discipline of God. Because in that discipline, He is straightening you out. He's putting you on the path of where you're supposed to be. Learn to love that. Or in the Proverbs, we were taking up Proverbs today. Learn to value his teachings. Learn to value the knowledge that comes from his word. Learn to value the wisdom that comes from his mouth. Can we learn to do that? Not without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, yes, we can. That's what it means for God to be. So, so far, we've heard two answers to our original question. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? 
in control, authoritative, present. What else? Can override other powers and authorities. And what else? His presence, yes. Right? Can override other powers and authorities. It's only, only one like him. I think nobody else. So it answers our first question. Right? And we also learned that God is, God's sovereignty is ultimately for our good because God's sovereignty is governed by, the, by his other attributes, namely his wisdom, his mercy. So now, second main question that we have. What does God's sovereignty have to do with the tenth plague? That's where we're at. Okay, that was just foundational, the whole first thing. What does God's sovereignty have to do with the tenth plague? Come back next week. I know some of you are probably, what? We're not taking this all up today. No. God is sovereign. He knows you can't take anymore. <laughs> so so I'll, just, I'll, I'll cut it there. But hopefully you'll remember this for next week. And I'm trusting God's sovereignty to minister to you during the week so that when you come back here next week, I'm not working with a blank slate. Okay? I'm not going to repeat this again next week. What does God's sovereignty have to do with the 10th plague, especially when children died? Okay? We'll take that up next week. Let's all bow down our heads this spring. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. And give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace.